Stand by. Hello and welcome to the Lackadaisical Libricubicularist. And now your host, Jordan Maywood. Hello! Welcome to the Librocube. My name is Jordan Maywood, and I am the Lackadaisical Librocubicularist. Today, within the Librocube, is TV Tuesday. Sometimes I shorten it to TV Tuesday. Sometimes I will throw out the full television Tuesday. Sometimes I will do my Doug Heffernan impression. Television Tuesday. Alright. Now that you are all up to date, I will say, as I do at the top of almost every show, with the exception probably of Fry Internet Day episodes, that there will be spoilers. This is your one and only spoiler warning. This one in particular, you should take heed because, uh, why don't I just say it? Because it's very exciting. Today's very special, very exciting, very Doctor Who episode is upon us. You are listening to it. I have not one, not two, not four, but three episodes of Doctor Who. Wow. We are goddamn living in a land of plenty, and I hope you enjoy it. I have sort of built these up. I was um, getting uh, getting behind, I guess you could say, and always had a TV Tuesday episode, I guess you could say, also, in the can, is the technical term. So, uh, in an effort to get caught up and just sort of record an episode and post it, rather than have to worry about other episodes that I hadn't yet posted, I'm getting all caught up here today. Lovely. Something I should say, as I quite often do, and getting good at remembering to do at the top of every show, is to say, if you like what you hear, the only payment I ask is a million credits. No, that is ridiculous. Credits don't exist. They only exist in the future. Plus, that is too many. The only payment I actually ask is that if is that perhaps you me is that perhaps you pass the podcast on to a friend. Perhaps you subscribe to it on iTunes. Perhaps you even comment and rate it. Because that would be kind of you, and I would love you forever. Today's sponsor is Jack Bauer's Convenience Store. Once again, today's sponsor is Jack Bauer's Convenience Store. Open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, of course, barring any sort of uh, crisis that may pop up. Hmm. Okay, so, as I mentioned seconds ago, and don't know why I'm doing so again, this is the Doctor Who episode, three episodes for your ear holes. What I'm going to recommend is that if you have not seen these episodes, you do so before I spoil them. So, <laughs> there you go. Hence, that's the warning at the beginning. Hence, the double warning now. Doctor Who deserves double warnings. Uh, if you are, like me, in Canada, you can watch these on the Space Channel website. Uh, I believe if you're in the States, they are available on BBC... Uh, America on their website, and I believe if you are in other countries that um, they can be found elsewhere. <laughs> I don't know where. Probably uh, a torrenting site of some sort, although that, I guess, is not illegal. Or it's not legal. 
Although, if it's available on a regular website, like the Space Channel website, and I watch it there, what's the difference between that and me torrenting it? Hmm. Whatever. That's a whole legal issue, which we will not get into. What we will get into, however, is this first episode titled Journey to the Center of the TARDIS. Ooh, man, that title gave me goosebumps. I'm very, very excited to see what is in this TARDIS. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with the TARDIS, uh, sort of the, the main thing you should know is that it is bigger on the inside. <laughs> sort of an ongoing joke in the Doctor Who universe that whenever anyone sees the TARDIS, which is basically, it's, a, it's what is technically a police call box, which I guess they had back in the 50s and 60s, uh, sort of like a phone booth sized blue box that's that's it, basically, with a little light on top. And then when you open it and step inside, it is much, much bigger on the inside. In fact, the doctor even pointed out, and this is surprising, that it is, uh, at least potentially, infinitely large on the inside. So kind of mind-blowing there to wrap your head around that. And we're journeying to the center of this baby. Oh, uh, just sort of on this note, my car that I drive in is the color of the TARDIS. Lovely. That's how I am able to mess with time a little bit. For example, give you a little peek behind the curtain. Today in the Libracube is TV Tuesday. However, in the actual real world, it is Wednesday. But that is much more boring than TV Tuesday. So, take that time. Uh, the missus got me a little uh, magnet thing in my jig, kind of bumper stickery, but a magnet for my car that's uh, sort of a play on that uh, keep calm, carry on. However, it is keep calm, I'm the doctor. So uh, that is flying along behind me on my bumper. Lovely. So uh, the story starts with the doctor sort of teaching Clara a little bit about how the TARDIS works, how to work it, if you will. The, uh, the TARDIS and Clara don't to this point, get along very well. There's sort of a little animosity between them, which is interesting, coming from... I guess you can't look at the TARDIS as an inanimate object, because it's got some um, animate to it. So, uh, in order to sort of, um, I guess what you could say, dumb it down for her, uh, he sort of puts the TARDIS in its most basic mode. Because apparently the TARDIS has different modes. The problem with this is that in its boat, in, in its most basic mode, it is not protected from the outside forces that could act upon it. Oh no! So uh, there is a ship flying along, garbage scow. I guess would be a, a way you could look at it. A, uh, a ship that travels space looking for debris or debris, depending on uh, how you like to say that word. I like debris. Debris. That's what a uh, gangster moyle probably performs. Debris! Anyways, uh, so they pick up this, what they presume is sort of floating garbage up on their scopes, sure, uh, and say, hey, let's reel that baby in. They use some sort of uh, electromagnetic thingamabob science-y thing, let's just say. I could be vague, because you might as well say magic. 
and sci-fi can be interchangeable sometimes. They use magic to uh, reel in the TARDIS, and this magic interferes with the TARDIS that would normally be protected from it. However, in its dumb-down mode, is not. So it kind of goes a little haywire and uh, gets pulled in. Oh, no. So uh, the TARDIS is then on this ship, and uh, the Doctor pops out and can't find Clara. Clara? Clara? I'm still debating about if it's Clara or Clara. I'd probably go Clara, but I think a little more Britishy is Clara. Yeah, I don't know. It's about the same. There's that. She is lost. Presumably hurt. I don't think presumably dead, but somewhere within the TARDIS. In the bowels, even. So the doctor, the doctor pops out of the TARDIS to be greeted by the crew of this uh, garbage scow ship thing crew of three, and sort of convinces them to help find, uh, within the TARDIS, Clara. Uh-huh. So that's your story. That's that's what's going to go down on in this episode. He says to them that uh, if you help me find her, you can have the TARDIS. Oh, man. So obviously they jump at the opportunity. However, uh, the Doctor does a little uh, sneaky-weakiness, a little connivy-wiviness, and uh, as soon as they're on board, he locks the door and sets the TARDIS's auto-destruct sequence and says, if you do not help me, we will all die in this explosion. We have to find her within this amount of time. He is sort of convinced that because of, uh, I guess, the inside of the TARDIS's infiniteness, she is in grave danger and shit could just kill her at any moment. Uh, so it starts out from Clara's point of view, that she's just sort of wandering around. She is trying to find her way back, but uh, sort of enjoying the wander a little bit, as you probably would in this crazy world. Uh, we get our first glimpse of a monster that is pursuing her. Oh no. Uh, some of the things that she comes across are a sort of giant observatory, which was cool because uh, picture like a giant telescope that was looking out on the stars that was somehow within the TARDIS. Mind-blowing stuff there. Then uh, came across a pool, beautiful-looking pool. My favorite part was when she came across the library. Giant, goddamn, beautiful-looking library. If you are unaware, I went to college to pursue a career, a career in librarianship. Uh, that did not pan out. I don't work in a library. However, still have a great love of libraries and books. So uh, I really like the section. She came across a book uh, in this that was sort of the history of the Time Lords that contained within, apparently, was the Doctor's name. So that is friggin' crazy shit. That will be uh, an episode in next TV Tuesday. I can almost guarantee it. So this monster's chasing her. Uh, eventually, the Doctor and these three dudes meet up with Clara, Clara, and uh, decide to uh, try to make their way to safety. However, they are pursued by uh, more monsters. We, One of them, in fact, melded together. We learn that these monsters are from the not very distant future, and are in fact, this is the spoiler, are in fact 
what happened to the doctor, to Clara, and to these uh, other guys in a sort of accident in the center of the TARDIS. The center of the TARDIS, which is, uh, or I guess, yeah, the center of the power core, that uh, a star that is sort of constantly held in a state of uh, explosion, creating a black hole, it's sort of uh, stuck in that time period, and that is what is powering everything. Cool beans! So it's their future selves. Oh no. Uh, Clara and the Doctor do eventually reach the heart of the TARDIS, uh, the brain, the heart, whatever you want to call it. The that, that star part was more just the power source, I guess. And it has already exploded. Shit. They are too late. Fuck. However, because it is the TARDIS and it controls time, it has sort of exploded to a certain degree, but then stopped its own explosion from happening. So it's kind of destroyed in pieces and moving outwards in its explosion, but moving at an incredibly slow, pl- slow pace until uh, eventually it reaches a point where it can no longer even hold this uh, in place and will die. And they will all die with it. That is not good. Uh, the Doctor does something that he is usually not allowed to do, which is interfere with his past timelines. That's sort of kind of one of the rules of the Doctor Who Doctor Who universe, is that you can't uh, sort of cross your own timeline, so you're not really allowed to go back and tell yourself things that have already happened. He kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of gets around this, and then takes... Clara and himself back to the points, I guess, sort of right before this tractor beam interfered with the TARDIS, so none of it actually happened. He, because of his Time Lord brain, remembers this. However, uh, nobody else remembers any of it happening. Um, the end. Yeah, there you go. Folks, uh, wow, that episode took a long time to get out because it was goddamn awesome. Love this show. I'm too close to work to start an episode, so my plan is to do two on the way home, hopefully. Yeah. (laughs) So we will attempt that in eight hours. It will not, for you, seem like eight hours, because um, I will turn off the recording device and not record eight hours of silence for you to listen to, because I am just that nice a guy. You are welcome. And also... Love you, dearies. I'm a fool to do your dirty working, working, working. And we're back. We are back. We are back. We are back. We are back. Back. We are back. Back in action. Hello again. Okay, back in action. Yes, as the song indicated. Where was I? Okay, finished. Journey to the center of the TARDIS. Let's move on to the Crimson Horror. Or the Crimson Horror, if you're not feeling in a scary mood. So, this takes place in 1893. Uh, Occasionally, the Doctor will visit this time period uh, to pop in and see his good pals, uh, Vastra who is basically a dinosaur. That's how I like to think of her. She is a descendant. She is a descendant of the dinosaurs and sort of evolved from them 
However, her race uh, has become extinct. She, I forget how, I think we did learn how she ended up in 1893 London. I can't remember how, but I'm sure it was interesting. Uh, her and her wife, yes, that is right, her wife, Jenny, and their manservant, Strax, are sort of chillin', chillaxin' in this time period. And when shit goes down, if they cannot take care of it, even though they are very able, I will say that, sometimes the doctor will pop in and give a hand. In this particular instance, it was uh, actually they who helped the doctor. Because people in, uh, I don't think it was London, actually. It was uh, another city near London. Did I write it down? I did not. Uh, people were showing up dead. Oh, that's never good. Anyways, people showing up dead and red. <laughs> red and dead. So, uh, they'd show up dead and they would be red. <laughs> I don't know how else to say this. Their skin would be red. So the doctor came to investigate him and Clara, Clara, and, uh, basically, I will give away the fact that the doctor was also red. Oh, no. But not dead. Probably something to do with him being not human and having two hearts. He was red and sort of stiff and couldn't move. Uh, sort of scarily, monstery noise-making because uh, he was so stiff and red. <laughs> Whatever. It makes total sense. Trust me on this one. Uh, it was because of a process that these evildoers uh, were putting people through to prepare them for the apocalypse. Crazy people, obviously. This process would either sort of preserve you, as it did in Clara's case, or would kill you and turn you red. Uh, the doctor, obviously, sort of a happy medium, I guess, in that he didn't die, but he did have the whole red thing going on. Uh, the way that uh, Vastra and Jenny sort of came upon him was a, was a cool sort of set of circumstances. It was thought uh, during this time, and I, I guess not by everybody, but people did think this, that when you died, whatever the last image you would see uh, would sort of be ingrained in your eyeballs for others to see. Now, that is obviously not true from a scientific point of view. However, however, uh, this process of preservation or dead reddening, red dead redemptioning, what? No, that's a video game. Uh, the, the sort of chemicals involved would cause this phenomenon to actually happen. So someone showed up dead, uh, Vastra and Jenny go to investigate, and the image preserved in their eyes was that of the doctor. What? So uh, you kind of thought, well, on the one hand, you could possibly potentially think that it was the doctor who killed this guy. However, that proved not to be true. He was sort of just imprisoned, and uh, this guy sort of uh, wandered into his prison while uh, undergoing this red dead transformation, and that's why the image was engraved, which led Jenny and Vastra to believe he also was alive and captured by these evil no-good nicks. Uh, it turns out they're sort of M.O., or modus operandi, if you prefer, was to take a... <laughs> this is fucked up, man. But uh, this is why I love it. Uh, these, these bad people's evil master world domination plan was to take this toxin from a prehistoric red leech. This red leech, actually, while I'm on that note, is the same 
phenomenon, let's call it, that wiped out Vastra and her kind way back when. So uh, the head the head lady, evil old lady, was taking the toxin from this this red leech and uh, unleashing it on the populace, and then uh, preserving preserving some of them, killing some of them. Those that were preserved would then survive. Uh, when she released the toxin into the atmosphere over the whole uh, world. Yes. Okay? You with me so far? I hope so, because it is crazy, so I would understand if you were not. However, I am going to assume that I am explaining this well. A large assumption, a large assumption, but an assumption nonetheless. Uh, This red leech, one thing that was kind of a little... I guess sort of confusing, was that uh, there was only one. It was sort of symbiotically attached to this old lady. It kind of reminded me of uh, the uh, symbiotes from uh, Star Trek, specifically Deep Space Nine, how Dax had this symbiote within her that was not controlling her in that case. In this case, it was controlling uh, this little old lady, and it kind of looked a little like the symbiotes from the Star Trek universe, but uh, red, of course. So the confusing thing was, how did, it, did this one little leech-looking thing uh, produce enough toxin to get vats and vats of it to convert all these people, and then enough to fill giant containers to send up into the atmosphere in a goddamn rocket? Yes, a giant friggin' 1893-created rocket. So that was weird <laughs> that they somehow had the ability to make this rocket that would fly up into the atmosphere. That seemed unbelievable to me. All right, I, I am all about the sus- suspension of disbelief. However, uh, creating a what looked like a iron rocket, like where are they getting the fuel for this? And it's going to be friggin' heavy from the size of it, and the fact that it's made out of like iron and steel. Whatever. The other weird thing is that this episode ends. Why don't I just hop to that with the Doctor through his sort of conniving means, uh, getting rid of the payload, uh, specifically this red goo. But the rocket still does launch. Now the rocket launches while the Doctor and Clara and uh, Vastra and Jenny are all kind of hanging around by it, near it, beside it. So the reason I thought that was a little ridiculous, because if you were this close to a rocket, like meters away from it, when it took off, you would be incinerated. Especially considering this thing's got to be goddamn heavy being made of iron. What kind of propellant uh, is is launching this thing into the air uh, while you are beside it? Incinerated. They should have all died. It would have been a very upsetting episode and the end of uh, an amazing series, but still, come on. I want someone to explain that to me. I think I have said all that needs to be said about that episode. It was awesome, other than me thinking, come on, at the end. Let's move on to the last episode of me talking about them today. It was called Nightmare in Silver. Uh, the previous episode, the Crimson Horror, ended uh, sort of the after the Doctor had saved the day and went back with Clara to her home. Ended with Clara's charges, two kids who she kind of uh, takes care of, I guess, from time to time. 
finding out about the Doctor and how he had a time machine and what have yous. <laughs> Basically, all they did was sort of a internet search and found pictures of Clara in different time periods. So they're like, hey, what's going on here, Clara, Clara, whatever your name is. Uh, so the Doctor, being the cool dude that he is, decides that the only way to... Well, they actually sort of blackmail uh, Clara and the Doctor into taking them on a little trip around space and time. Lovely. Now, on the one hand, going with the Doctor, who's a, who's a cool dude, it'd be fun traveling in space and time with him, seeing some cool shit. On the other hand, uh, he does not go places and then just have a sort of fun, normal time. Shit always friggin' seems to go down. For example, he decides to take them to the universe's largest theme park. Okay, that sounds like fun, right? However, somehow, some way, through, I don't know, typical Doctor fashion, he ends up uh, where the theme park used to exist in the past. However, it's sort of in a state of disrepair as it has been closed for uh, centuries. So that's not as fun. When they get up, when they get there, they meet up with a guy who's uh, sort of stranded on this planet with this now defunct theme park, who runs sort of a uh, what I would consider a sideshow, a little bit. Uh, so at least they have that to entertain them, right? Wrong. Well, kind of right at first, but wrong eventually, because within his menagerie, let's call it, he has. A Cyberman. Oh no, a Cyberman! Uh, if you are unfamiliar with Doctor Who, that will probably mean nothing to you. If you are familiar with uh, Doctor Who, that will probably give you goosebumps like it does me, because these are some friggin' bad guys. They are, and I'm not sure if they were always like this. I kind of don't think they were. They are very reminiscent of the Borg, in that they'll sort of take humans and convert them to uh, sort of mechanized beings in an effort to, sort of like the Borg, make everything the same. They, they, are, big, they are big fans of sameness. Sameness and, in, in their eyes, uh, I guess you could say perfection. Uh, the one that was in this menagerie had no inner working, so it was at least potentially... Um, not a threat, anyways. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they just used it to play chess. And if you could beat it playing chess, then you would win, uh, whatever, some credits. Credits seem to be the future. In the future, money will not exist. Everything will be credits. That, that, that is a theme in many sci-fi stuffs. So uh, they play against it and lose quickly. However, they then learn that it is not actually Cybermen playing chess so much as someone inside the sort of uh, chess set, booth, thing, box, whatever you want to call it, um, controlling the Cybermen, sort of remotely playing chess. The person inside is none other than Mr. Warwick Davis, who you may remember from the Labyrinth. Yeah, that guy. That's how he could fit in the little uh, chess table, because he is a little person. And I mean that quite literally. He is a person who is little. Uh, the sort of tensions after seeing the Cybermen and learning uh, he's an empty shell and no threats, we sort of let 
loose a sigh of relief. Yeah, uh, everything's going to be all right. However, the doctor notices there's these little bug, kind of flying centipede, weird-looking things, metallic, uh, what-have-yous, sort of scurrying around all over the place. What they turn out to be is not good, because they are, quote-unquote, cyber mites. Oh, no. So this is where the sort of uh, connection with the Borg feels even more strong because these cyber cyber mites, if they get on you and into you, will infect you and then turn you into a cyberman. So very uh, Borg reminiscent. Uh, Even to sort of further the Borg uh, connection is the fact that the cybermen sort of develop a hive mind sort of consciousness between all of them, so they're all sort of connected. We learn this when the doctor is friggin' infected with the Cybermites, and then within his brain has to fight the Cybermen. One half of his body almost, you could say, is controlled by them. One half is controlled by uh, himself. And then the only way to sort of uh, solve this Mexican standoff is, of course, a chess game. Yes. The Doctor must play chess in order to win back his consciousness and free the kids. Oh, I forgot to mention that the kids were uh, taken over, controlled by these Cybermites. Jesus Christ. Uh, Eventually, these Cybermites infect and control... uh, I don't know how they got to this number, but it was like three million of them. Because I guess they could now use any living matter to turn into Cybermen, which basically just look like robots, what you would picture a sort of typical humanoid robot. The Doctor, Clara, the kids who are um, sort of brain-dead, kind of controlled, but not totally transformed yet, hole up in a castle of this theme park. So not a real castle so much as a theme park castle, like a Disney castle, uh, with the remnants of an army um, that had been on this planet. Uh, It reaches a point where sort of the only way to destroy these Cybermen and to keep them from leaving the planet and uh, spreading across the universe and destroying all life as we know it is to blow up the planet. Now, luckily, they have at their disposal a doomsday device for just such an occasion. However, um... There was a trigger that could set it off, which was destroyed by the doctor's cybermite-controlled body. Shit. Uh, it could be set off by someone's voice, voice activated. However, that person, sort of leader of the army, was killed. So, again, shit. Can't set off this bomb. The only way to set it off is if the Emperor of the Galaxy... Yes, the Emperor of the fucking Galaxy. Only he can save us. Too bad he's not here, right? Wrong! He is there, because Warwick Davis is the Emperor of the Galaxy in disguise, sort of a prince in the pauper, decided to pauper it up and go among the people. So he uh, says into the uh, giant doomsday-type device, yeah, let's blow this planet up, dudes. That's exactly what he says, word for word. (sighs) Not really. So, uh, as soon as he says that into the device, then the uh, the people who were looking for him, because he's sort of in hiding, 
come to beam them off the planet. He is back in his Emperor's throne, and the day is saved. Lovely folks. I am at home. It is nice that the universe was saved by Warwick Davis. So now he saved, saved, I'm going to assume, the universe in the movie The Labyrinth, and now he has saved it again in Doctor Who. Worlds colliding, fantasy and sci-fi. I goddamn love it. And I love you. And also, it is nice to be nice to the nice. Thank you for listening. This has been another edition of the Lackadaisical Libra Cubicle Wrist. We here in the Liberal Cube would love to hear from you. If for any reason you would like to contact us, you can do so via the email address, mailwood.jordan at gmail.com. And now I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait till our lips have met. Wait till you see that sunshine day You ain't seen nothing yet The best is yet to come and be Won't it be fine The best is yet to come Come the day you're mine Live long and prosper